The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code DKHOOPS. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code DKHOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bear Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to the NBA Finals File with Robert Ori and Jabari Davis. I am Jabari, former NBA writer turned podcaster, and this is seven-time champ, Big Shot Bob, a.k.a. Robert Ori. What's up, Jabari? I'm glad to be here again, breaking down another NBA Finals. It's such a pleasure to be here. As I said, I'm excited about this one. Yeah, and I, I wondered as we were, you know, as I was watching back the footage, I thought, well, I was trying to put myself into your place, which is not, it, it wasn't as likely to happen. But I wondered, with this being your opportunity to, you know, be a part of a championship team with three different, you know, organizations, did that mean something to you heading in? You know what? I didn't even think about it when the, in, in the moment, but afterwards, I was like, wow, I'm only one of two players that had this opportunity to win on multiple teams, and I messed with John Sally to this day, who was the first guy to win on three teams that, you know what, that Bulls team really didn't count. That Lakers <laughs> team didn't really, I just messed with him, right? Because, you know, I was just happy to be a part of a winning, or, winning organization. And I guess I was burying the lead because this week's matchup is the, is the 2005 finals between the San Antonio Spurs and the Detroit Pistons. Look, Rob, I got to be honest with you. I was happy to watch your footage. <laughs> I was. The series was fun. It was. But I got to be honest, the final totals in the 60s and 70s, it was a little bit tough. You know what? I didn't realize that it wasn't a lot of scoring going on in this series. And we'll talk, we'll get into that a little bit later. But you would think when you got teams with Rasheed Wallace, Chauncey Bullock, Mono Ginobili, Tim Duncan, all these greats Robert that Orr. the score would be a little bit high. <laughs> yeah, and Robert Orr. The, the score would a little, be a little bit high, but it wasn't. It was a knockdown, drag out series, a lot of defense on both ends of the floor. And in fairness to both of you guys, these were, if I'm not mistaken, these were the two best defenses in, you know, in the league at, at this point, right? Uh, yes, it was. You have, think about it, you have former defensive players of the year on both sides, Tim Duncan, uh, Ben Wallace, and it, was, and it was a slugfest. All right. So let's go ahead and get into it. The Sp- with the Spurs' path to the finals, you know, the previous year they lost to the Lakers in the second round. They finished 59-23, and you know, for the first in the Southwest Division in this season. Uh, they got there by going 4-1 over the Nuggets in the first round. 4-2 over the Sonics in the second round. Shout out to the Sonics. Hope they one day will come back. And 4-1 over the Suns in the conference finals. Domination throughout by the Spurs. This one's over, and San Antonio wins. They will advance. Pop assured us when we won the Western Conference final. He said, for you guys who haven't been there before, it's 50 times better when you win the whole thing. Do you remember anything particular about either of those battles? Um, I just know they were fun. Um, I, I know the, the Phoenix series 
was one of those series that everybody wants to talk about because of some issues that happened with this, you know, with the Suns and the Spurs over the course of years. But <laughs> when you get a team that's rolling, like the Spurs were rolling at the end of the season, it doesn't matter who you play. And we were very fortunate to come out of the West that year. The thing that people don't understand, the Spurs have always had a history of getting beat by the Suns. And I remember asking Tim Duncan, I'm like, dude, that's the first thing that came out of my mouth when I was talking to Tim. I'm like, why do y'all have a history of losing to the Suns and Tim and Tim Duncan fashion? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was his response. So it was just one of those teams that, you know, every team has a nemesis. And for a long time, the Suns were the Spurs nemesis. I was just going to ask that. Like, is it, is it something about certain matchups? Is it, you know, certain guys have, you know, just have horrible nights in certain buildings or, or, or what is it to that? I just think it comes down to matchups. Um, the Suns have always played small ball, which kind of hurt Tim in the sense that he can't, you know, guard guys on the perimeter. He's more of an inside type of player. And I think about when I was with the Houston Rockets, we had two nemesis. We had the Minnesota Timberwolves, who had Doug West that was killing us all the time. Then we had the Seattle Super Suns. And when I got to the Lakers, that was pretty much the only team that didn't have a nemesis, even though Portland and Sacramento tried to be. But the Spurs, you know, throughout the history, the Suns was always that team that was battling right there for a championship or battling for a conference title, and the Spurs rarely came out on top. And it's funny, just, you know, just quickly mentioning, it's funny with those uh, Lakers teams. It felt like the Bobcats were your ne- <laughs> were, were your nemesis <laughs> in the regular season. It was a good thing you didn't you never had to worry about them in the postseason. Yeah, and and Orlando, Orlando, yes. because when we went down to Shaq, wanted to beat them so bad that they always somehow, even though they had a team that on paper wasn't as good as us. They would come out with a victory. It was everybody's championship when you guys rolled into town. All right, but bringing it back to this series, (laughs) the Pistons' path to the finals. uh, Unfortunately, they beat the Lakers the previous in the finals the previous year. For this season, they finished fifty-four and twenty-eight for first in the Central Division. In the first round, they were four-one over the Sixers, four-two over the Pacers in the second round, and four-three, which was a great series over the Heat in the Conference Finals. But let's actually talk about the historical you know, significance of this matchup. So it's it's you going for your sixth ring. You got prime Tim Duncan, you know, versus the Pistons attempting to repeat. What were your thoughts heading in? I mean, obviously you're involved in the series, but what were your thoughts in terms of the historical matchup? I thought that we matched up really well with them. The only worry I had was the three spot because we had moved Mono Ginobili from coming off the bench to starting. You know, Tayshaun Prince, who doesn't get talked about, was a great defensive player. Long, lanky guy who could post up and so had a size advantage in that in that sense. But then everything else was a pretty good matchup. Bruce Bourne on Chauncey, uh, Tony Parker on Rip, and of course Rashid on Tim. I thought we and Nazi starting on on Ben Wallace, we matched up very well with them. So I wasn't really worried about the matchups, but I thought at the end of the day, whoever bench comes out and plays well enough in this series. It's going to be the X factor. It's the others. Oftentimes, I, I, you know, I'm a broken record on this, but I, I, I stand by it. You know what you're going to pretty much get from the stars. They, you know, they, for the most part, they deliver. It's the other, you know, the other folks that come out and 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 usually will put one team over the top. So, what about the coaching matchup? Because you know, obviously, it, it's you know, two all-time greats. We got Larry Brown versus Greg Popovich. Brown was a mentor to Popovich early in his, earlier in his career. Brown was coming off of a title the previous year. If I'm not mistaken, he's won at just about every level, you know, whether it's high school, college, you know, NBA, you know, rec league, it doesn't matter. Larry Brown <laughs> was that guy. But what did you think about the matchup? I thought the matchup was great. You got two guys who've been around the block, have won championships, who knew each other very well. You know, it was almost like going to an episode of Waterboy. Hey, I got your playbook over. I've been knowing you for so long. But it, it was a it was a great matchup. Um, and sometimes when it comes down to great coaches, you know, the great coaches are gonna come up with some plays that the other team don't know about. And that's the one good thing about Pop and the Spurs. We had a whole set of plays that we didn't use during the regular season. We might break it out in, you know. December to test them out and then he would shelf them and then pull them out when it comes to the playoffs and the finals because you know when you get in the finals when you get in the playoffs you play on a team seven times maybe they scouted everything so you got to have some trick plays some new plays to keep them off their path of trying to stop you defensively did this series mean something extra being you know for pop in your in your in your estimation um I think it did uh, just for the fact that 
he wants to cement himself as one of the great coaches in his league. Everybody was talking about, okay, you got 99, which was a lockout. You know, you got that championship. You got other championships. Can you do it during the course of a season, going up a team that just won a championship? You think about it. Nobody thought the Pistons was going to beat the Lakers, but they did. They beat them handily. They won the title. And you had a team that was playing extremely well. Think about it. They had four all-stars on that team. Yeah. Four all-stars. And so I think for Pop to come out and beat this team the way we did, having home court advantage was going to cement his legacy as one of the best coaches ever to coach this game. And it's interesting because, you know, as fans of the game, you know, obviously, you know, you're you're more privy. But as fans of the games, we never really consider like th- that type of, you know, that type of rivalry. You know, we consider, you know, rivals on the court. We consider you guys going at one another. But it but it is it, it is interesting to, to think about that extra level uh, that this may have meant for, you know, you know, this may have meant for Pop. So let's go ahead and take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll dive into game one. The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here. And DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code DKHOOPS. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code DKHOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. All right, we're back here on NBA Finals File. Let's go ahead and jump into Game 1 because your Spurs were looking to set the tone. Game 1 of the NBA Finals here at the SBC Center in San Antonio. He used to be the assistant coach for him, and now they're coaching against each other. He's still, he's still my boss. See? No, he's still my boss. Ready to get it on, man. Ready to go out here and handle our business. It's the top two defensive players in the NBA. Best friends calling the shots on the sidelines. The past two NBA champions. And then, you know, as, as the action started, as everyone in the world might have expected, with a team that boasted Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manny Ginobili in that starting lineup, 
You guys kicked things off with a direct post up by Nazi Muhammad against Ben Wallace. <laughs> it looked like a set play. So I, I got to ask you, was attacking and getting him in early foul trouble, was that one of the main concerns heading in? You know, the good thing about good coaches, they always know there's certain players on your team you need to have them engaged early. And Nazi was that type of player. If you get him engaged early, he's going to block shots, he's going to rebound, and he's going to be there for you on both ends of the floor. So at the beginning of the game, you know, we're going to go to Nazi and see how he plays. And Nazi had, he had some good post moves. And people don't, don't realize when you play alongside guys like Tim Duncan and whoever it may be, you don't get that many post ups. So you got to get it when you can. And Nazi, you know, I wish we'd have used him more, but we didn't. He went to the post and he had that little move where he goes middle, one, mm-hmm. two dribble to set you up and turn back over that left shoulder for a bank hook. Uh, well, a bank shot or, uh, or bank off the glass. So Nazi was one of our great post-up players that we rarely used. You know, that was that weapon we needed to use, but we didn't as much as we should have. It's interesting, especially with it being Coach Pop. If it if it worked, I'm surprised he didn't go back to it a little bit more because you're right. Like, it, it, the reason why I noticed it is because literally right from the jump, it's like, bam, right to Nazi. Okay. And he dropped it right in. Yeah. In, inside scoop right here. Um, Pop and I used to always, you know, get in a playful argument about him not milking a play. Milking a play means going to it over and over and over until you, they stop it. And he wasn't a big proponent of that. He liked run, running through his gambit of plays to keep people off balance. So that was one of the things me and Pop used to always sit down and have a stern conversation about. <laughs> I, I, if, <laughs> Milk, especially when it was coming to me. Hey, of course. yo, run it again. I just scored. <laughs> keep, keep feeding me. Keep feeding me. If I could have mm-hmm. just been a fly on the wall during those conversations. Mm-hmm. So Detroit counters by immediately going to Sheed for a baseline turnaround over Duncan on the other end. Couple of dribbles, back to the basket, spins baseline, fadeaway jumper, good for Sheed Wallace. And can you give folks, you know, folks that may, may not have seen Sheed's career live, can you give them just a bit about his game? Um, Rasheed Wallace is probably one of the best players I ever played against. When I talk about guys that was so difficult to guard, Rasheed is not top five um, because he's long, he's athletic, and he had this shot sort of like a Cartwright going, you know, going back in the way he shot it. He didn't shoot it with his arms folded. He shot it at the top of his apex, and he would just use his wrist around the basket and knock it down, and he could shoot threes. He could put it on the floor. He had a complete game. He was a good shot blocker. When you talk about players that can play both ends of the floor, Rasheed was one of those guys who could do it on both ends. Yeah, I, I won't lie to you. He was definitely one of my favorite players, you know, d- throughout his playing career. And it always felt, and, and this is not a criticism, it always felt like, man, he mm. should have even been more of a star than he was, you know, for whatever the reason, whatever the circumstances were. And maybe it's a credit to him, you know, being willing to, you know, kind of subjugate his game, you know, for the betterment of the team. I think when you look back at Rasheed's career, he was a great team player. Yeah. You know, and I know a lot of people, when you say Rasheed Wallace, you think about the ejections and the technical fouls. But if you can wash away that, he was a heck of a a ball player. He could do it on both ends. Like I said, he was a great teammate. He was always supporting his teammates. And he took a back seat to a lot of guys when he didn't have to. Rasheed Wallace should have been the the, the apex of every team, should have been the focal point. But he was a great team player. Testament to him. Testament to him. So Detroit, they actually jumped out to a 17-4 lead with Rip and Sheed doing a lot of the early damage. Pistons executing with very good poise. Just what we expected from them. Spurs, on the other hand, have had some good opportunities and have bumbled the ball. You came into the ball game about midway, you know, about at the around the midway point of the quarter, and you know you immediately found Duncan. You're in the lane for a jump hook. You know he also makes a bucket the next time down, and it seemed to get him going. Calm down, just play basketball now. It's a ridiculous start. We got four turnovers. Nobody's going to play. And the ball is stopping. It hadn't moved a lick. What is Pop telling you guys when a team goes on a run like that? Just stick with your knitting. Um, we know that emotions can help you or hurt you. And I think for the Spurs, um, emotion, we were a little too high because that comes with playing at home. It can, that, that the drilling you get from the fans can amp you up where you can either, you know, take bad shots, have turnovers, which we did. We had a lot of turnovers. Or it can make you take off. And for us, it didn't make us take off in this game. It kind of settled in. But we were a team that understood that the game is about runs. You're going to have runs, but you need to withstand that run, stay pat, and don't do anything crazy because you could come down and shoot some crazy threes, take some bad shots. But we were more disciplined than that where we say, hey, let's go to our horse inside Tim Duncan, get us some buckets that would open us up on the outside. And speaking of runs, you guys actually wound up closing the gap by the end of the first quarter. Duncan's turnaround shot. Good right baseline. And now 
San Antonio begins to climb back into the game. And I'm honestly, I'm not saying this because you're my co-host, but you were a true catalyst in that comeback. You know, you had three assists in those five minutes, and you know, it really got it got folks going, and it got the ball moving. And the Spurs, for the first time, have a little momentum. They're trapped in midcourt, and they get the steal. Ori will drive it into Robinson, and Glenn Robinson will slam it down. Great play by Robert Ori. San Antonio survives a torrid Pistons start. Yeah, you know, the thing about the Spurs, they were big on playing team basketball. Um, we had a great penetrator in Tony Parker. Hamilton driving inside. His runner in the lane is off the rim, no good. Rebound, Ori. Long lead pass comes to Parker in the front court. Parker drives on Phillips all the way in. Lay it up and good. But we moved the basketball tremendously. We always look for the open guy, next man up. And that was, let me just talk about Tim Duncan, too. That's a great testament to him of being a great team player. He knew if I can get these guys around to play good, that's going to make me play better because that means nobody can double team him and he can go to work in the post. It's interesting. I have a note later on where I'm going to ask specifically a little bit more, a little bit more in depth about Tim. But can you speak to his mindset compared to other stars that you've played with when, you know, when it comes to that specific? The true greats, um, all the true great centers that I play with from Akeem Olajuwon to Shaquille O'Neal, they were like that. They understood that you need your teammates to play good. If your teammates play good, you play better because that's going to make it easier for you on the inside. You know, I, you go back to my first couple of years of playing with Olajuwon. He was more of a guy like, oh, I'm going to do it on my own. Then he realized he needed his teammates. He needed us to, you know, step up. And the only way we can do that by sharing the basketball. And I think, you know, since Tim and Shaq understood this from watching Dream and David and all these other great bigs before them, they followed suit and did the same thing. So they shared the basketball. It wasn't about me. It was about we. All right. So after a back and forth second quarter, you guys actually took a bit of control during the third. Can you speak to you know the types of halftime adjustments Pop would you know would make or focus on? And I'm asking specifically because it felt like the defense ramped up. You know, in Detroit, they actually missed 11 of 13 shots at one point to start the second half. Wallace drives on Nazi Muhammad inside, and that shot is knocked away. Duncan against Rashid Wallace to the rim, lays it up, blocked by Wallace. Defense is tightening up by both teams, especially in the basket area. Yeah, the key was you know stopping Chauncey Bullets. Uh, we'll move Bruce Brown over to Chauncey to put a bigger body on him. I even put Manu on him and try to put Tony on Rip because Rip wasn't a post-up guy. He was more of a guy who was going to run around the court, come off screens and get some open J's. So we just tried to amp that up. And we tried to get the ball out of Rasheed Wallace's hand because we knew Tim guarded him, Nazi guarded him, I guarded him. It didn't matter. He was scoring. So we just tried to get the ball out of his hands and, and, and rotate it as much as possible. And another thing we did was we tried to trap in the open court. Sometimes when a guard would get in that bad zone, once you cross half court, we would send a big or Manu or someone that was in the area to go over there and trap to try to get them to speed up their offense to get them out of their rhythm. All right. So the action that I want to focus on really quick, Will, it came about three minutes into the fourth quarter. When Manu was working to pick and roll the top of the key with Duncan, allowing Manu to get into the teeth of the defense and eventually around and through contact with Ben Wallace for the and one. Ben couldn't believe the call and he winds up getting the tech on top of everything. And it pretty much, it, it actually kicked off a 19-4 run that put this one away. He works it down the lane, laid it up and in. What a strong move by Manu Ginobili. So I'm wondering what the conversation was when with your squad when this happened. Did you feel like you had them a bit rattled at that stage? Um, anytime you get a player that gets attacked, you feel like you have them rattled. So we just wanted to keep attacking, keep playing good defense, and just and stay the course. That's that to me is the sentiment of the Spurs: stay the course. No matter what happens, we're gonna run our plays, we're gonna do our defensive schemes, and everything should work out in favor because we know we have the talent. We just have to, you know, stay with the course, like I said, stay with the process, and do what we need to do. And you look back; that's what we did. Tim Duncan was very good at that. He didn't try to. He didn't get too upset. He didn't get too excited. He was, you know, the emotionless Tim Duncan that we all know and love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Da down the stretch in this series, he shows a little bit of fire. But you're right. You know, like th throughout the footage, I won't lie to you. It reminded me of that old or you know, uh, it, it, uh, Kevin Garnett recently told a story about Tim Duncan. Well, he was talking about you know, different competitors he played against, and he specifically said Duncan would kill him with like just little little comments, like "nice try." Almost got me that time, but just but but like it wasn't being picked up by the cameras and everybody else that wasn't on the court had no idea. But he said that used to drive him absolutely crazy. You know, the Tim would that you know I don't know if he stole that from Larry Bird, but 
the worst trash talking is when someone tries to block a shot. You're like, oh, you almost got that one. <laughs> and you're looking at them like, man, well, it, 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 it makes you so frustrated because you know you're playing good defense. And all of a sudden, great offense beats good defense every time. And Tim was that type of guy. That's absolutely got to be frustrating, especially since it wasn't like Tim like was a high flyer. He would just, you know, fundamentally just, just knock it down and, and, and kill you every time. In game one of the NBA Finals, safely tucked in the win column for the San Antonio Spurs. So your Spurs, you wound up taking game one 84-69. And, you know, with Duncan and Manu combining for 50, while Tony also had 15, you and Glenn Robinson, shout out to Big Dog. You guys did most of the damage for the Spurs off the bench. Uh, but honestly, in this one, the starters did most of the heavy lifting for both teams offensively. Well, you can see by the score, yeah. <laughs> uh, 69-84, that it was a slugfest. Um, I think I don't, the first game is always some nerves, mm -hmm. um, a little bit of jitters. And uh, you and the bench, You know, if you look at it, we had a lot of like finals uh, uh, vets in there, guys who've been there before. So that's why we was able to stay the course and win this game because there was a lot of guys sitting there that hadn't been in the finals that were on the team like Nazi and um, you just mentioned Big Dog mm -hmm. is his name we don't mention very often, but was a great player. You know those guys didn't have the finals experience. So at the end of the day, I think the the, the veteran leadership took over in this game. It certainly did. Pop said he was real polite with y'all in those first two timeouts uh, when y'all got off to that sluggish start. Can you give us your version of it? Polite. Is that what you call polite? <laughs> but let's go ahead and keep it moving the game, too, because it, it, let's just say this was a little bit more entertaining of a game. You know, it's, it's still, still a blowout, but entertaining. Because Manu put on a show in this one. Tony Parker, cross court, left corner to Ginobili. He shoots for three. It's in. Manu Ginobili right in the face of Prince. This time it was, you know, San Antonio's turn to start off hot. You know, as your Spurs, you kicked off the game with an 8-0 run. Duncan doesn't even attempt a field goal in the first six minutes of the game. And this is where I was going to ask you, you know, like, you know, it, it really was a testament to him because it was very clear he was trying to get everybody else going. Exactly. Tim knows if Manu's playing good, you get out of his way. There's certain great players in this league when they're rolling, no matter who you are. And Tim being the great teammate, not the good teammate, the great teammate, knowing how oh, Manu's rolling, let me get out of the way. Tony Parker's rolling, let me get out of the way. And I don't think Tim gets, gets enough praise for how much he let the other teammates take over when he's clearly, at that time, one of the best players ever played the game oh, yeah. and dominating at any moment, can do what he wants on the court at any time, but taking a step back and saying, hey, guys, you have the advantage tonight. You're rolling. Go ahead and do your thing. Taking the chestnut checkers approach. I can definitely appreciate mm -hmm. that. Top of the key. Ori, nice inside feed. Duncan, lays it up and good. And he is fouled by Rip Hamilton. Great ball movement by the Spurs. So you guys were up 11 after the first quarter, and they actually pushed it up to 16 by the half. And honestly, you never really look back at this point. And, you know, I realized, there, especially you know, doing this with you the last couple months, there's a lot more finals blowouts than I ever recognized. Right now, San Antonio, <laughs> they are toying with the Pistons. No matter what they do, the Pistons just come up empty against a superb performance by the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, like, I, I, for whatever reason, I don't know if I, you know, put it out of my mind or whatever. You know, like once we get to the end of the series, but there have been a lot more individual game final blowouts than I, I ever would have anticipated. You know, I think it's always those games like two, three, and four that people kind of don't pay attention to unless it's a game the four has got about to be a sweep. But those are the games that are usually blowouts. And maybe a game six here, but seven is always a game everybody looks at. It's like, okay, you know, who's going to win this final game? And those are way the closer games. But it's always amazing to me that when I'm, I'm, I, I'm, with, I'm on board with you on this one about the blowouts. I'm like, wow, we got blown up. Oh, we blew somebody out. It's, it's amazing watching these games and watching how the chess matches go and how these guys interact with one another and how they step up to the plate to try to, you know, beat their opponents. So you guys wound up taking this one 95-76, you know, as the teams were heading to Detroit. The Spurs are going to go to Detroit up 2 nothing. It's a TKO. The Pistons can't answer the bell in the 12. So I got to ask you, you guys are up 2-0, and especially in this fashion, you know, not, you know, blowing the doors off of them. Even though now you're headed to Detroit, was there a feeling that you were definitely in control of this series at this stage? Or did you simply look at it as, hey, look, we just took care of business at home, and now we got to go put in work? The key thing you just said is we took care of business at home, which we were supposed to do. You you win at home, especially when you have 
home court advantage throughout this playoffs. You win at home. And our mindset going on the road was says we got to play three in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Just get one. We just going to get one. We want to get two. But we really want to get one. And that's our whole focus. But I want to go back to that game, too, and talk about Bruce Bourne. Uh, Bruce Bourne was known for his defense, but the guy was four for eight from three. And, you know, the first game, he didn't shoot it that well. But in this game, Bruce started lightening up. And I'm going to mention Bruce because me and Bruce had a little inside battle going on that nobody knows about. But Bruce was four for eight from three, and he was able to kind of carry us that game because Bruce is always known for his defense. But in this series, he made some key three-point baskets. Now the pass knocked away by Ginobili, who saves it to Duncan. What a play by Manu, the steal, and he got it right back to Tim as he saved it from going out of bounds. Here comes Duncan to set the screen for Ginobili. He reads the pick, takes it inside, right corner. Bowen for three. His spot, his shot, give another assist to Ginobili, and the Spurs have opened up an 88-73 lead. Can you, can you speak to that? Can you shed a little bit more light on the, the, the internal battles you guys were, were waging? Well, I, I'll wait. I think I want to save that for story time. Uh, oh, thank you. Okay, you know what? That's a tease, and I will not step on that tease. All right, a, a couple other quick notes on this one before we move forward. Uh, you know, outside of Ben Wallace, you know, who wound up going four for six in the game, you guys actually held their starters to 17 for 49, or just under 35% from the floor. In fact, Antonio McDice was the leading scorer in, in this game for the Pistons with 15 points off the bench. And again, Rob, for the listeners that may not have seen his game, can you describe what Antonio's game was like, especially before the knee injuries? Antonio McDice was a Dominique Wilkins type player. He was a human highlight film. You're one of those guys, strong, powerful guys, can 6'9", 6'10", guy, could do it all on the court. And I told McDice after this game, because, you know, we both went to the University of Alabama. I told him, I said, I'm never inviting you over to my house again for dinner because he had came to my house. But dinner before that game, and he had a good game. I'm like, man, you're not coming over ever again, man. So, but um, Dice was one of those guys who was athletic, could jump out the gym, powerful guy. Came out of Alabama after his sophomore year, incredible guy. Played in Denver for years, and once he got that knee injury, people kind of forgot about him. But he was still able to score in the post because he had the quickness of a guard and the leaping ability of of, of a guy like a Vince Carter. And I'm I'm, I'm going to circle back to a you know, point you just made here in a second. But as mentioned, you know, w- w- another final note, Manu was a star of this game. You know, he scored 27 points. He got dished out seven assists to go along with three steals. But you were also spectacular off the bench in this one. And this is where I'm coming with it. You had 16 points, six boards, five assists, four steals, and a block for good measure. So I'm wondering, seeing what McDice was doing on the other end, did that motivate you? Did, like, like, did you have that mentality of like, hold up, what's going on over there? Yeah, it, it was a little inside battle going with Dice. You know, I, like I said, I said, we're friends, but once we get on this court, I hate you and I hope you hate <laughs> me because we're trying to get something to establish our legacies in basketball. And that's the NBA championship ring. So it was a little battle. And he, he was one of those guys that could get in the post. And he was so quick with his moves. And we worked out in the summertime together. So I kind of knew some of his moves, but he came with some new stuff, scored on me a little bit. I scored on him sometimes. So it was a great it was a great and a fun matchup to go up against a former tighter. Absolutely love the game within the game like that. I, I, I noticed you had a little bit extra you know, for some of the stretches, a little bit more. Yeah, we were battling them, man. We were throwing, trying to throw each other to the floor and everything and laughing at each other at the same time. And we told the refs, I said, hey, if you see us battling, you know, we, we know each other. It's, it's the finals and we just going to, you know, try to beat each other up, you know. <laughs> Are there times where the refs will say like, OK, you guys go ahead and handle this? Well, you know, the refs know if you know each other, um, you're not going to try to hurt each other. You're just going to be physical with each other because that's a part of the game. Um, and if you have a, a reputation of not doing bad things, they let you play. And at this time in the NBA Finals, they don't they don't let – well, I say at this time in the NBA Finals, they let a lot of things mm-hmm. slide, especially when you know each other. And, you know, nobody – if you think about it, nobody on this team was known as doing anything malicious so we didn't have to worry about um any um flagrant fouls or anything of that nature fair enough okay that makes sense all right so it's time for another quick break when we come back games three and four in detroit and things are going to change in a big way the thrill and excitement of march mania is here and DraftKings sportsbook one of america's top rated sportsbook apps is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code DKHOOPS. 
New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code DKHOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. We're back here on NBA Finals File. Absolutely you know, scintillating you know, uh, games one and two. But like I, you know, like I mentioned before the break, things are going to start changing. Because in game three, the Pistons are fighting for their lives, and they actually show some real signs of life. Ready to go from the Palace of Auburn Hills. The Pistons are looking for this game to dig out of this 0-2 hole, hoping that this whole tournament can get it back in this series. You know, in what may have been an ominous start, Ben Wallace actually starts the game off by picking off a pass intended for Nazi Muhammad and taking it the length of the court for a dunk plus the foul. It was very clear that they were coming out to play a more physical brand of basketball from the start in this one, to the point where Coach Pop actually went to the bench, bringing you in with less than 90 seconds into the action. Was it a matter of Pop simply not liking the effort from the start? I think Pop is one of these guys wants you to be focused, laser focused, and you're in the finals on the road. You can't make silly mistakes. And knowing that I had already been to the finals before, had won five championships before I got there, he knew I had that focus. So he says, you know what? We can't start off. We got to do something now to keep them at bay and not let them get this crowd into it. So he inserted me early. And then as soon as he as soon as he inserted you and look, I don't mean this as, as a slight in any way. Sheed immediately started going to work. You know, he scored two <laughs> quick buckets. Uh, you know, and I have to be honest, man, you were right there in position. You were contesting. But to the point that you made earlier, his, his ridiculously high release point, there was really nothing that you can do against him. You know, people are going to look at it, look at the series as, Rob, you couldn't guard Rasheed. Tim couldn't either. Nobody <laughs> so could. It was one of those things. Nobody could. And 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 it's, it's nothing that Tim and I could do. It's just, you know, it's a testament to how good Rasheed was. Rasheed was a hell of a post-up player. He could turn over either shoulder. He could jump hook you. He could shoot the J. But the one thing I want to point out to about Rasheed, though, Rasheed, to be a guy who's 6'11", had the smallest hands 
and the smallest feet of a 6'11 guy. I don't know. I We need to have a contest between him and Kevin Willis and who had the smallest hands and feet because those guys are seven-footers and their hands were the size of point guards. Were, were they, was it the Eldon Campbell Award? I, I always heard the <laughs> same about him. I don't know if it was true or not, but I heard that he had small hands for a big man. No. Uh-uh. Eldon had big hands and big feet. Eldon really? just had to, you had to have Eldon engaged at certain times. So, yeah. Oh, you had to get it right to him. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, doing the Nazi thing. Mm-hmm. My, my, my bad, Eldon. No disrespect intended. <laughs> All right. So, in this one, you know, Rip Hamilton was able to get it going with a couple buckets against Bruce Bowen, you know, in that opening quarter. And that had to feel good, you know, having gone 12 for 36 in the first two games combined. Guns off glass. Got it. That's his bread and butter right there. Off the curl. Left side, Hamilton. A catch and shoot right through. This place is going the Pistons, they just simply look more comfortable and assertive across the board. But your Spurs, you of course, you fought right back, and you were able to take a 27-21 lead into the second quarter, really on the strength of you know Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, as well as five quick points off the bench from you know from Brent Berry. Can you speak to Brent Berry's contributions to this team? You know that's the great thing about about Pop and Brent Berry. Brent Berry, like we always say, you have to keep your phone on the hook and be ready to answer because Pop played him sparingly in his finals. You know, he might get 15 minutes here, three minutes there. But Brent, being the professional that he is and one of the greatest teammates I ever played with and one of the smartest teammates I've ever played with, he was able to adjust, go out there and play and take care of things when Pop asked him to. And testament to Brent. You know, Brent was that player, you know, slam dunk winner, um, great player, one of the Barrys. You know the history of the mm-hmm. Barrys, um, starting with the father. Great basketball player. But when he came off the bench, he was smart. He was an intellect. He went to the hole. He shot threes. Great player. Absolutely. So the Pistons were able to push ahead by five by the end of the third, and they kind of they sort of hit you guys in waves in that fourth quarter. And I'm wondering, did you notice any specific adjustments from them in the second half, or was it really more of a matter of a desperate home team playing for more, you know, playing with more certainty than they had in the previous two games? I think it was that team understanding that the backs against the wall, understanding the situation at hand, going out and playing hard. Because who knew? that Ben Wallace was going to be as aggressive as he was. He was 7 for 10 mm-hmm. from the field. And that's what our game plans was to kind of lay off Ben because he's not looking to score. We can use whoever's guarding Ben to either rest or, you know, double team or do something of that nature. But Ben was very aggressive in this game. And we were sitting back scratching our heads like, who is this guy? He doesn't <laughs> score. He rebounds and blocks shots. But Ben was very effective in this series, and he was looking to score from game three on to the end of this series to your point ben it was by far ben's best game at this stage you know 15 points 11 boards the five blocks as you mentioned he's a shot blocker you expect that you know but he also had three steals you know rip hamilton it was also one of his best games excuse me it was his best game you know to date in this series you, you know he put up 24 4 and 3 you know mcdice once again was really good for them down the stretch and the pistons they returned the favor they could cut your lead you know down to 2-1 with a 96-79 win in Game 3. All Pistons, they're celebrating, and this series will go 2-1 as we go to Game 4 on Thursday night. So the Pistons come home, and a series breaks out. It was a 63-63 game with less than a minute and a half to go in the third quarter. And, you know, we tried to give Tony Parker a rest for one minute uh, in the damn burst. Hey, this is the counterpunch that we talked about. You know, this is one that we'll learn a lesson from and, and uh, prepare ourselves better come Thursday. So let's go ahead and kick it to game four because, look, hey, San Antonio, we have a series. Again, you know, even though I've watched every single NBA Finals, honestly, since the mid-80s, for whatever reason, I, I simply put it out of the put the fact out of my mind that there were so many blowouts. We had four straight blowouts <laughs> by the home team in this series. Yeah, it was ridiculous. This is the first game someone ever scored 100 points. And you would say, what? An NBA Finals game? And this is the first time and the only time? <laughs> a team would score 100 points. But, you know, that has that, you know, it, people will look at it like, was it bad offense? No, it wasn't bad offense. It was just great defense by two defensive minded teams. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the excitement of the NBA Finals. We are set for game four. Much like in Game 2 in San Antonio for you guys, the Pistons came out looking even more comfortable in Game 4 at home. The, the, both teams, they traded punches starting off, but Detroit really started to push tempo off any turnover or long rebound, and you could tell that they were looking to run. 
for a team that was struggling so much in the half court, I guess that's not all that shocking. But did you recognize they were absolutely trying to dictate tempo in the first half of this one? I think when you see a team like that, I'll say we won. We just won a game at home. Let's push the tempo. Let's get our crowd behind us because we know how important that that crowd is and making us go over the top and getting us out of drilling to do things extraordinary. And that's what they did. They came out, they pushed the tempo. They were trying to make Tim tired. They're trying to make Tony tired and make uh, Mono tired because they was logging heavy minutes. And when you got top dogs that we don't, you know, really have a sub for on the bench like we had for them, you as a coach, and, that, and we know how smart Larry Brown is, he said, we're going to push the tempo because we're deeper. And they had a lot of guys they could throw at us. Even you know, Lindsey Hunter, who we haven't talked about yet. We got guys like that coming off the bench that can push the tempo. And that, we knew what he was trying to do in game four is push the tempo and it get us exhausted. And it seemed like it was working because Detroit wound up taking a six-point lead into the second quarter after a sheet three-pointer. But I specifically mentioned this because it was actually you know, discussed on the broadcast. They acknowledged it was the first three-pointer made by a Piston not named Chauncey Billups in the series at that point. And that's just wild to hear given the current state of affairs in the league with that shot in particular. Every possession, we got to give them one shot. They're getting too deep on us. We can front a little. When Duncan's backing us down, Zip, don't be afraid of this. Yeah, you would think Rip Hamilton was the guy who could shoot threes. He wasn't that type of guy. He was a guy that came off screens shot you know mid-ranges it was a uh, was a sniper at doing that and watching this series i realized wow you know the pistons didn't shoot a lot of threes that's who that that wasn't who they were you know chauncey shot threes rip on occasion then you had uh rasheed to shoot threes tayshaun prince shot a couple threes here and there Lindsey hunter but other than that they didn't have three-point shooters on that team they're just a grinded out type of team slow it down and beat you up. It's almost like a, a team that's just wanting, you know, you know, body blow, body blow, body blow. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to the body, you try to protect the body. Headshot, haymaker, knocked out. Duncan across the paint. Ben taps it away to Chauncey. Heck of a play. Chauncey on the break to Ben. Lays it up. Lays it in. And 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 Chauncey, and you know, in previous years and in even following, Chauncey was that guy usually, you know, for that moment. So you guys were cold in the second quarter to the tune of four for 16. And the Pistons, they were able to extend the lead to 15 heading into the break. According to the recap of this game, and this was interesting to me, you know, Coach Pop told you guys that that, that was the worst half of basketball he'd ever seen from an NBA playoff team at halftime. Did he actually tell you guys that? Uh, yes. <laughs> but, you know, he said it in a smiling way, like, yo, you know, we can't get no worse. Oh, okay. Forget about it. Go out there and play, and good things will happen. But I guess they didn't. <laughs> you said it was the worst half of basketball you've ever seen by an NBA playoff team. How would you care? Who told you that? That was, Who told you that? that was reported during the broadcast. Was that inaccurate? Because if you... It's could, right on the money. So let, let me ask this. And I, look, I, and, you know, I know you guys are professionals, but, you know, when you're playing a game, is there ever a point where you fall behind by a bunch and you say, like, hey, you know what? We can get them next game. Or do you, or, or, you know what I mean? Like, or, or are there players that, that, that you can tell that happens? No, if we always feel like if we can come back, it demoralizes the team. Um, you, you, if you up on a team by 20-plus points, the next thing you know, the game is tied, you're like, oh, my goodness, what can we do to knock these guys out? They just keep coming and coming and coming. You know, and, and that's why teams never give up. The great teams never give up. They go out and they keep battling. The only time when you say, okay, let's just wait till next game, is if you're down 20 with five minutes left to go because you still feel like you got a chance at any moment in the game. You know, just go back. Ask, ask the New York Knicks and what Reggie Miller did to them. Ooh. So after seeing something like that, everybody knows there's always a chance in the NBA game. Eight points, nine seconds. What a fantastic moment. <laughs> Absolutely. In playoff history. All right, so your Spurs, you put up more of a fight in the third quarter with Manu and Tony getting it going offensively, but Detroit was able to hold, you know, honestly hold you guys at bay and still narrowly won the quarter 23-21. And, you know, it was actually sparked by a guy that you mentioned earlier, Lindsey Hunter. He, he went four for five and he had nine points in the quarter. Yeah, Lindsey was. I had the, the pleasure of playing with Lindsey mm-hmm. and then with the Lakers and winning the championship. This was Lindsey's second stint with the Pistons, so he was one of those guys that came into the league out of Jackson State, small, you know, HBCU school. Was a scorer when he first got in the league. He was putting up numbers, and people kind of forgot about him because he only lasted two or three seasons, and then he went to being a playmaker. And but Lindsey had that talent to score big buckets at any moment of the time, so he put up. Like I said, he put up 17 in that game. Really worked us when we didn't expect that. The Detroit Pistons 
this one wide open. Wide, wide open, J.D. And in the fourth quarter, you know, it wasn't pretty for San Antonio at all. But I'm going to mention this because the one of the things that I noticed, even though it was a blowout, you got up three shots in the five minutes that you played in the quarter. And I specifically mentioned it because we've discussed it in the past, but particularly with role players, did that slight bit of rhythm allow you to sort of set your feet, so to speak? Uh, for me, it, it, it did. Um, because as a player, you always want to watch film and look at your shot and be like, what am I doing wrong? And if you look at all my shots in the first couple of games, it was all over the board. And the first thing you tell a shooter is to go straight up and down. A lot of my shots, I was rushing. And when you rush, you kind of pull back a little bit. So that makes you lean back. So my shots were either going to be long or short. So I had to make that adjustment. And, you know, what better way is in a blowout game, just force some shots up to try to see you can get some type of rhythm. You know, we didn't play a very good basketball in either one of those games, especially game four. I felt like it was slipping away. I felt like we were missing opportunities. And you know what? Let's go ahead and wrap up part one here, because when we come back in part two, maybe the greatest game of Robert Ory's career coming up. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with bare premium plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.